Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your co-host, Nick Bogart. I'm joined by our host, who just doesn't want to do the intro anymore. He claims that I bitch that I don't get to talk enough, so he's having me do the intro. So, give it up for Tim Korleski. How's it going, everybody? And yes, I'm actually letting Nick talk for a change. <laughs> We're also joined by Craig Campbell, who has a Kickstarter for Murders and Acquisition, currently ongoing. Craig? Hello. Hello, everybody. Nick, that was a fine introduction. Excellent. Aww. Well done. I'm, I'm going to say he's getting better. Bit. Of course, always the critic. There were words, and I understood right. all of them. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I rendered them speechless. <laughs> Wonderful. Vivo I was taking a sip of soda. I don't know what uh, Nick's excuse was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't have any excuse. There's no excuse for me. So, Craig, how's yeah, let it him, going? I let him talk, and he just froze right up. I did. <laughs> terrified stage fright. So, Craig, how's the Kickstarter yes. going? The Kickstarter is going well. Um, as we record, I'm not sure when this is going to go up, but as we record, we are well, uh, we're funded. We're past our first stretch goal. We're well into uh, funding the second stretch goal. Might actually hit that by the end of the week. Um, we got uh, like a couple hundred dollars to go on that. Very close to triple digit backers. Uh, it's, it's, it's chugging along pretty nicely. I'm pretty happy with it. Um, I'm, I'm actually in that. You know, we'd hit that lull period. There's the, we had a big push, funded inside of three days, rolled over that moment, momentum into the first stretch goal, hit that pretty quickly. And now, um, if you know kind of how Kickstarters go, they, ha they tend to run like on a U-curve, and they get a little slow, kind of slow and steady throughout the middle. So I'm, I'm in that mode right now where I'm just kind of slowly watching the numbers go, slowly, slowly. <laughs> yep. Like I... nails on a chalkboard at this point. Oh, yeah. It kills me. Oh, yeah. Um, it it definitely is. Uh, we've talked to enough people already. W once they hit this low point, they're just like, what's going on? Does no one like it anymore? Are people going to stop backing? Or or they have it where people are still backing, but they have almost the same amount unbacking, and they're like, oh, what's going on? Yeah, that's got to be frightening, and I'm waiting for that to happen, where you start getting start getting cancellations. Um, that hasn't happened just yet. I had one cancellation, like within a half an hour after the thing funded, which really threw me for a loop. I was like, "Okay, here you go. You're getting your game. It's absolutely going to happen." Um, and I'm not interested anymore. You know, I don't know. It was very very strange. I know what happened. He what he happened? Uh, went ahead and he go he uh, he funded it. And then his wife saw the credit card statement. And he went, oh, shit, I'm busted. <laughs> or was looking over his shoulder. Or he, he said, hey, honey, this game about, you know, beating people up in an office. Just, and she said, what? No, no. Get rid of that. <laughs> or maybe it was the other way around for all, for all I know. Because um, the name was uh, nondescript. I couldn't tell if it was necessarily a male or female. Uh, Might have been a husband being a, you know, party pooper. To a wife or a guy and a guy or a girl and a girl or what, what have you. There's all sorts of options there. <laughs> There's all Either sorts way, of combinations. Somebody didn't like the fact that there was Grand Theft Auto Office Edition. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. I, I'm gonna have to. I might have to throw that up onto a 
on the website or something. <laughs> well, now you're going to have to put it as a quote, you know, and put Tim Corpeski <laughs> F underneath it. Grand Theft Auto <laughs> Office Edition. Oh, it, a little bit, yeah. The moment I started reading the rules, that was the first thing that came through my mind. The, mo- the moment that it was like alternate Earth. And by the way, the only way you can advance is by like subterfuge and sabotage and all this other stuff. I was like, oh, okay. And murder. So it's Grand Theft Auto Office Edition. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you can play it. So speaking play of it. Grand Theft Auto Office Edition, uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about it. Okay. Um, well, you know, you kind of hit on it. Uh, Murders and Acquisitions is a, it's a tabletop role-playing game, and uh, it's a game of subterfuge, espionage, intrigue, theft, and murder in sort of an absurd corporate world where everything's a little over the top, a little tongue-in-cheek, too. Um, people are backstabbing their way to the corner offices. You know, if somebody gets in your way, you make them disappear, or you find a way to get them indicted or destroy them socially. You steal their secrets. You do whatever it takes to, uh, to get your wealth, prestige, and power that you seek so much. Um, and then all the while, of course, as you do rise up, you're kind of looking behind you, waiting for the next up-and-comers who are gunning for you now. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's ideal for one-shots. It's a pretty quick system to, uh, to learn. It's a, a very straightforward game system. The world is incredibly easy to understand because it's, you know, it's our world, but more cutthroat and kind of um, exaggerated. There's a, there's a strong sense of hyperbole to the world. And, uh, you know, you can, car- you can create a character in a matter of a few minutes. Uh, a GM can craft the skeleton of an adventure with um, material that's in the book that just gives you the bare bones of some, of some things, some ideas. Uh, there's tables where you can you either just select what you want to select, um, what sounds interesting, or you can actually just roll dice on the tables and just put together um, like eight or nine elements that are the skeleton of the game. And then you can fill them out um, as you improvise your way through the story. So... Um, you know, it, it has that playability. It's you know, it would be a good game for like a couple players don't show up one night for the regular group, so you all sit down and just play, you know, three four hours of murders and acquisitions. Um, it does support campaign play, although it's not super long campaign play um, because it's kind of a niche within a niche RPG. It's you know, it's a very kind of unique out of the way kind of thing. Um, the campaign play is really intended to be like I think the the ultimate campaign. You know, like kind of the sweet spot for a campaign would be like ten maybe 12 sessions to progress you from starting out at the company to being in charge of everything, having take, having taken out all of your, uh, your enemies. So that's, uh, does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. I love it. Need to know more. So, <laughs> so you were just saying that this is like an alternate earth. Um, right. In one of the big things behind it is the fact that like, the absurdities that you think of when you think of like, I guess like the the way the best way for me to describe it is like the absur- the absurdities you think of when people have an office job like, my God, I wish this guy would get thrown out of a window or, you know, something along those lines. I wish his car would wreck on the way to work or you know why aren't any of these guys dying so I can move up, you know, right. like all those dark morose things that things that everybody thinks of when they're working in an industry. You're kind of saying, hey, let's just go ahead and do that. Yeah, you get to pretend to do that uh, on your off hours and over the weekends and not have to worry about finding a job tomorrow because you got fired for doing or horrible arrested. things or you're in jail. <laughs> nice. So how long how long did it take you overall to kind of flesh out, you know, this is kind of a two-parter. How long did it take sure. you overall to kind of flesh out like 
the world itself and like how long have you been kind of working on murders and acquisitions? Uh, the initial nugget of the idea came up, um, you know, I, st- I started working on things in, I guess it was about September of 2013. Um, I had a very rudimentary system in place and I play tested with some friends in November of that year. And by March of that year, I had um, enough developed that I was doing play tests with strangers. I was taking it to small local conventions um, and just running, running play tests and demos there. Um, then, you know, it just, it, from that point, it went forward probably uh from that march until about this past march or so you know so about two years of um ongoing playtest and development um i'd say the the game system was more or less locked down with the exception of a little tweaks here and there after about a year and a half and then the, like the last year of it was um expanding um a, a series of add-on optional rules that bring us some other elements into the game like i've described what the core of the game is but there's app optional stuff that you can pile in there as well so i those th- i put all of those through their paces as well and at that point i was actually sending materials out to play test with groups um where i wasn't involved with the play test where you know i i gave an adventure and, and the game materials to a gm and he had to interpret everything and and make sure that i was dis- you know it became the test of does this read like a game book? Can he understand all the rules? Does he have a lot of questions about just how to run the game? And so I had to fill in the gaps on that and start to turn it from like an outline that I was using into an actual teaching game document that will tell the person how to play the game from top to bottom. So two and a half years as of about March this year, it was uh, kind of at that point it was, you know, just fine tuning. It went to editing um, and that, that sort of thing. And then, and then, you know, of course I was by about March, I was really ramping up toward getting the, the Kickstarter started. So, um, it was le- it became less about the game itself and more about getting the Kickstarter up and running and getting ready for production. Gotcha. So when you're launching this, um, honestly, I haven't had a chance to check out your Kickstarter page. Are you, are you launching this in uh, paperback or hardcover? Uh, well, the, the, the backer levels are this. This will this will describe it for you. There's a one dollar backer level. That's one of those typical things people throw in. You can back for a dollar just so you get the updates, and you can see how things go, things go. And then if you want to back it later, you can. Um, there's a fifteen dollar pledge level that gets you the PDF of the of the book of the of the full game. It's a whole self contained game in one book. And then there's a series of support materials that'll all be free PDFs as well. There'll be adventures and there's. Um, there's like an employee rules one sheet that basically summarizes the most basic rules. So you have a a handy sheet available. There's a supervisor. Well, the the GM is called the supervisor in a game about an office. It's called the supervisor. Um, there's a supervisor screen, a two page thing that it's not a physical like cardboard screen, but it's pages that you can either print on cardstock or you can, um, you can put into like those, uh, generic GM screens that you can get that just have the clear plastic sleeves that you can slide in. Um, and there'll be a you know a handful of other things. Um, that's fifteen dollars gets you everything basically. There's no higher backer level to get special material, additional material. And then twenty dollars gets you um, all of that. And then you you'll get a code to take um, at uh, to to drivethroughrpg.com to order yourself a soft cover or a hardcover book at base printing and shipping costs. And for uh, for example, for backers in the U.S., printing, you know, they'll be printing in the U.S. and shipping to someone in the U.S. That is going to run you about $10 total for the soft cover and about $15 total for the hardcover. So even for a hardcover, it's going to be about 35 bucks total for the grand 
poobah, the whole schmear. Wow, that's actually not bad for a hardcover book. It's a, an amazingly good deal for a hardcover book. Um, the, 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 the great thing about it is that, you know, printing the thing really doesn't cost much more. Just page-wise, it's, you know, those two pieces of chipboard or cardboard or whatever that are in there, those cost $5, apparently. Now, these, these prices, of course, are the Kickstarter prices. When the game is done and ready and it, 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 it will be available at DriveThruRPG long-term, the, uh, the prices may be a little higher, and some of that PDF support material might actually cost a buck or two. I have to still work out all of that, but you'll, I mean, you ultimately you'll be getting the best deal for the game that you can through the Kickstarter. It will be cheaper than later production run um, cost. Gotcha. Okay, cool. And of course, if you uh, get the if, you know if you get the version where you're going to get a book, you you still get everything in PDF. So you can have a book, and you can have it on your tablet, and you can have you know whatever you need. So really, when people get get their hands on this, they can they're, they're getting all the core rules, and then from that point, if they decide they want to have it printed, it's completely on them. But they ultimately they're only paying once for the multiple different formats they can have it in. Well, you're paying the the pledge level at at Kickstarter, and then. If you get the version, you know, if you if you take the twenty dollar pledge that gets you the code, then you're going to have to pay another ten or fifteen bucks um, if you're U.S. A little bit more if you're outside the U.S. at at um, Drive Through RPG to get the physical copy. So yes, you have to pay at, at at two different places at two different times, but that is ultimately cheaper than what it would be if I were to just have everything shipped to me and then I have to spend all the time packing and shipping and sending everything out to you. I would have to charge more for that because all of a sudden I'm spending a bunch of time on it. I'm having to get shipping materials. I'm having to you know, figure out how I'm going to take care of postage. International becomes a nightmare, you know, all that kind of stuff. So ultimately you're getting the best deal you can. You just have to pay at two different times. Okay, that's understandable. I actually like that format. It makes it a little bit easier for people to get involved in it. And uh, honestly, like you as a game designer, it takes a lot of the work off of you, which is huge. Yeah, and- and if you're on a really tight budget, you know, because you, you run into people that like they're waiting to, you know, like 15, 20 bucks is a lot of money. And so you can back the Kickstarter now. You'll get charged at the end of the Kickstarter for the 15, 20 bucks if you, or the 20 bucks, let's say, if you want the book. And then in a few months down the road, then you've got to pay a few more bucks later. You don't have to pay the whole big cost right now. Right. That makes total sense. I dig that. So you, you talked a little bit about the Kickstarter. Um, obviously, we don't want to go into much more detail than that. People can always go into Kickstarter.com and look all that up. We don't have to you know, do all that work for them. Um, however, tell us a little bit about the game system itself. Like, How does the game play? What kind of dice do you need? How long are your average sessions? Things of that nature. Okay. Um, well, the game, the, 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 the game system is entirely of my own design, although when you hear it, you're going to recognize similarities to some other systems but i think that's you know outside of something that's unbelievably original that's kind of the case pretty much anytime you know the everybody borrows from everybody else there's there's a lot of great ideas out there that people meld together so it's basically a two die system um in the game you've got 12 skills they cover pretty much everything you're going to do in the game they're very broad umbrellas of skills and each of them is ranked with a d4 to a d12 higher is better so when you make a skill check you roll the die uh, your skill die, and you add to it a D6, which is called the synergy die. Add those two roll, uh, rolls together, get a total, and you compare that to a target number that you know breaks down. Like the target, the base target number for a moderate task is seven, and it goes up and down from there. Um, 
Now, everything is contained in one die roll, everything that you do on a, for a particular skill check. So if you succeed at the task um, on the skill check and you roll a six on the synergy die, you get a boon and something better happens for you. You deal more damage or you hack the computer faster or whatever. If you fail on the skill check, um, and you roll a one on the synergy die, it's a botch, and the, the GM gets to describe something terrible that happens to your character. <laughs> um, there are uh, mechanics in the game for um, bumping your, your dice up and down a little bit based on circumstances, um, and there are ways to gain an additional die. Um, you, end up, you still end up only taking two dice, but you get more to roll, and you take the better ones. Um, and, uh, you know, the game foregoes plus two this and minus five that. It's, it's all about just two dice, add them together, Check a target number. You know, minimal math, quick in the head. Um, there's no damage roll. There's no soak roll. There's no saving throw. There's, you know, that's, it's, it's all, you know, compacted into one, one die check. Gotcha. Okay, so it's a very simple system, and people should be up and playing it within five to ten minutes. Yeah. I've run this game for people at conventions who have never played our uh, role-playing games in their life, and they grasp the world almost immediately, and they grasped the dice system almost immediately. You know, 10 minutes into the game, they were on board. They knew everything they needed to know. Nice. I could, I can get behind that. So walk us through a bit about, like, the characters themselves. Like, how do you go about creating characters? Are there character classes? Is it kind of freeform? You know, obviously you're dealing with a game that's not your typical fighter, mage, you know, rogue running around. So you've, you've got different things going on. Right. Well, the character creation uh, chapter takes you through basically – I mean it's, it's, come, it's set up very step-by-step. Step. You come up with a concept. You're never going to write the concept down on your sheet, although I guess technically you might. But there's not really a spot for it. But you come up with a concept. You want to play like a smooth talker or a tough who just enforces um, a leader type, a techie, um, a cleaner who covers up all of the horrible crimes. Then you can also play a jack-of-all-trades. It's not um, – and those aren't, those aren't classes. Those are just ideas. You know, you can play a qu- essentially, quote unquote, multi-class. You can mix and match skill sets and, and you can do, you know, have a number of, of skill sets that you're good at. Um, everything is, it's, it's a point by system. So you start with uh, 20 character points and you spread those out amongst um, dice and bumping your wellness and wits up, which are your physical and, and mental toughness. Um, and uh, then you, you've got a couple other things that work into the system. And then as you as you play the game, you know, you'll gain rewards um, as you uh, complete stories and you'll gain, you'll gain additional character points and you'll improve your character however you wish by spending points to in- increase skills or um, gain another area of expertise or whatever. Um, so there's not, it's not a level-based system. It's very much point by. Okay, cool. So in the character creation, I take it as very freeform. There's not a lot of uh, like, oh, this is the class that you stick to. Um, you just buy the skills based on the character you want, and then you're just kind of like, hey, this is my character, Chet. Right. You combine um, basically personality traits, the skills themselves. You've got a few things. Um, you've got a, you get a couple of what are called areas of expertise, which are like highly specialized areas, and those are areas that you can get some rerolls in. Um, and then there's a couple of you know mechanical things like you know how tough are you or how mentally resilient are you. Um, and you just you, you craft the character out of that, and you slap you know wrap a personality around it, and you know, then you spend, of course, like 45 minutes coming up with the appropriate name, like we all do, and uh, you're off and running. All right, cool. So character creation's very easy outside of name creation because we all sit there and wait and wait and wait on that. Uh, the dice <laughs> system's very easy. Um, 
So for the the game master um, running the game, how long does it normally take them to like set up an adventure or anything like that? Do you have systems kind of in place to help speed that along as well? Well, you know, with any uh, any GM, it, it kind of depends. You know, GMs that are very good at improving will they can sit down and, and like literally go to the back of the book and spend ten minutes just putting together the skeleton from a list of. Um, options and ideas there's just there's a there's a there's a chapter called story ideas and it's just lists of here's a general idea of a bunch of main foes and here's what they might be up to and here's what their number one hench person is like and here are some locations where um you know the action might take place and here are complications that might arise as you're going along and you can you you, you know you can just kind of take those and kind of weave it into something for gms that like to uh, prep a little bit more or who just aren't as good with improvisation, you know, obviously you might spend a little more time putting things together. Um, it, it, the book also is, you know, it's filled with just um, a series of NPCs that are already pre-statted. So you can, you can literally just go through and grab NPCs. If you're playing with any of the optional rules, there's other stuff that you can just grab that's ready to go pre-statted. Um, and there's, of course, rules also that if you want to generate some of your own content, you want to create NPCs or whatever, there's, there's uh, guidelines for doing that as well. Cool. So everything's pretty much there all in all in one book. You don't have to go searching around in multiple different sources to get it all. Right. All in the same book. Cool. Cool. So let's talk about some of the important stuff that uh, I always like to think of when I'm thinking Grand Theft Auto Office Edition. How do we go about <laughs> killing each other? How do you go about killing each other? Well, um, there are, you know, there's certainly a number of ways that you can do that. There's there's straight up just stabbing somebody in the face until they die. Um that, uh, you know, the skills in the game are, are you, you don't have a strength score. You have force application. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you don't have a charisma. You have public speaking and social equivocation. Those are two different skills. So, you know, the, the, the character sheet reads kind of like a resume with a lot of kind of res- resume keywords or buzz phrases that you might see. Um, and then, <clears throat> you know, you, you, you can make those, you know, you, it can be straight up melee attack or, or ranged attack. You can... Go with, you know, you can push somebody down an elevator shaft. Um, you don't have to outright kill them. You can get them, um, you know, set them up and get them sent off to prison where they'll, you know, somebody else will take care of that for you. Um, you can hire a hitman. You can, you know, there's a lot of ways to to murder in murders and acquisitions. Although right. you don't that have was one to. of the things I you noticed can, that I liked. If you, <laughs> if you wish, you can just make them suffer. Suffering. <laughs> just have that one guy in the office that you just every day torment to the point to where he just <laughs> throws himself off the building. That could be like a campaign long kind of thing. Is like you're under you're ta- you're taking on all these other challenges and dealing with all these other people, but the whole time you're just kind of poking at this guy, just kind of slapping him down, making sure he never gets anywhere, just draining all the hope out of him, and then you know, one day he you know one one of two extremes, he either. Uh, you know, quits or offs himself or he shows up and goes postal and now you've got a whole different problem to deal with. So he went postal, so he changed career. Yeah. With a shotgun. I can see that turning into a pretty funny campaign. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it has, it has, it certainly has, you know, a humorous quality to it. It's one of those, I mean, you can play it perfectly straight if you want to, but it's, you know, it, for me, it kind of came from a place of, of, of dark humor. And like you said, just kind of fantasizing about, you know, you're, you're sitting at work and you're daydreaming about, you know, well, what if that person, you know, got their, um, 
Well, I'm trying to think. Like one of that person was uh, rolling across the floor on their chair and they hit the window and the window broke and they went out and I never had to deal with them again. I mean, I actually found myself one of the things that, you know, kind of inspired me was I was thinking about uh, the movie Office Space. Are you familiar? Yes. Oh, very. very. Okay. Most geeks are. So in the movie, um, Samir and the other guys and, and, they, they, and Peter, they go out and they beat the living crap out of that printer that's giving him so much trouble. Yet at the same time, they just deal with Lumberg coming over there and giving them problems. Well, what if they went the other direction, if they just dealt with the fax machine or the printer, and when Lumberg came over there and asked them to come in on the weekend, they hauled his ass out to the field and beat him with a baseball bat. It would have made a funnier movie. There is that. Less people asking, are you related to Michael Bolton? (laughs) (laughs) Why should I change my name? He's the one who sucks. (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome so so the game itself it, it definitely like to me it kind of has you know I, I might be wrong for comparing it this way it kind of reminds me a little bit of paranoia in its own way too <laughs> paranoia was very like tongue-in-cheek like the fact that you had to make clones of your character because of the fact that like they were gonna die like exactly you were gonna do something that would screw up so bad that you were dead whenever i played paranoia it was always a race to see who could go there go through their clones the fastest yeah, that's normally what ended up with, ended up with our group as well. Even though GM wanted to make it like a big, serious, drawn out campaign, I'm like, oh no, 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 we're all gonna die session one. <laughs> there is an homage to uh, to paranoia in the game. Um, in in the write ups beyond the, just the general information about the world, there's a series of companies. There's four companies in the core game, and each uh, four of the stretch goal sections each has a company in them as well. And in the core game, there's a company called Super Mega Happy Corp. Um, which is very much paranoia inspired where they use drugs and hypnosis and subliminal suggestion um, to keep their employees as happy as possible. (laughs) Because a happy employee is a productive employee. Or at least a non-threatening employee. Right. Of course, if you're playing a a character there, you're you're probably playing somebody who's bucking the system, in which case you are now immediately in their – in their crosshairs because you're not taking your happy pills. Yeah, there was always that problem. Awesome. So you got, how many different options do you have coming out with the Kickstarter? Like you, you spent a, you spent a little bit of time talking about the expansions. Um, right. Obviously I, I don't want to go into too much detail on them because of the fact that, you know, it is, it's kind of Kickstarter exclusive stuff, but it gives people something to look forward to. Um, well, a bunch of, a bunch of it's already announced in the Kickstarter. Okay, cool. Uh, basically what happens is, you know, the base game is kind of built around the real world with no fantastic elements in it. It's, it's just this weird corporate over-the-top thing. The stretch goals, uh, each one adds a chapter that's devoted to adding fantastic elements to the game. So you could, um, like the first chapter is for magic and spellcasting. So you could play a world where it's like, it's, it's the m and world that's described, but magic happens to be real. And so there's a spellcasting system and there's magic items and there's a company that deals in magic. Um, and then the second, uh, stretch goal, which we're moving toward right now is called monsters and templates. It's heavy on the monsters. There's a company write up that involved, you know, has monsters on the board and, and, and in key roles. And then there's a series of monster bloodline templates where you can play a character that has a little hint of monster in them. Um, the next one after that is future tech. And that covers things like, um, you know, near future technology, like cyber tech, nanotech, no spaceshipy stuff, but like. You know, just around the corner, kind of uh, body, you know, uh, 
electronic body augmentation kind of stuff. The chapter after that, fourth stretch goal is cosmic horror, which is all that Lovecraftian stuff that we all love. Um, so there's, you know, there's a company that has made a pact with some horrible thing from the beyond, you know, beyond the uh, edge of our perception. There's some monster- monsters, there's some dark magic, and there's one more to go that has not yet been revealed. And, but by the time uh, the listeners are hearing this, it may have been revealed. If we hit the next stretch goal, um, the fifth, uh, if we hit the second stretch goal, which we're close to, the fifth stretch goal goes up there at least to give you a teaser. Nice. So you, you're definitely taking the game in like every single possible direction that people from any role-playing genre could get behind. I was, I was kind of shooting for that because I was thinking, well, you know, how many people really want to play in the real world? As interesting as the idea is of playing um, Grand Theft Auto Office Edition, um, you know, it, a lot of people are going to go, ah, eh, real world, pfft, I want something fantastic. And so I'm giving them the option for that. You can add these things. They all work together if you want. You can mix and match them however you want. It's just every time you add one, it, the, game world becomes, the game world becomes a little more complex. Your character becomes a little more complex. Um, the GM's process of, of you know, creating adventures um, becomes potentially a little more complex depending on how much they focus on all of the additional stuff. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So it's it's definitely it's designed to be cross compatible with all the different modules. It's not like it's a separate power level for like the Cthulhu world compared to the fantasy world compared to the real world. No, it's all kind of it's all within the same relative power level. It's just each of the the chapters has a subset of rules that allows you to do some different things that go beyond the scope of the normal character sheet. Nice. Yeah, I could definitely get behind that. I, I like that idea a lot. Just uh, having having a game that's freeform but still sticks within the universe. Because there's, if there's one thing that I honestly cannot stand is uh, generic rule sets that are just kind of like, here's generic fantasy game. Like They, they create like a, a core engine for rules, and they kind of make like generic settings for it, where they're like, here's generic fantasy game. Here's generic cyberpunk game. Here's generic space combat game with laser swords. Right. You know, and things of that nature. I, I like I like it when people create their own flavor, even though it's a it's a base engine. The fact that you created your own flavor behind it and you're you're kind of sticking to that is like, you know, yes, this all uses the same game, but you know, it's all it can be played together, but each one has its own very distinct personality is really cool. Right. Each of the I mean each of the add-ons is is colored by the the idea that you're still playing a game about climbing the corporate ladder in by whatever means necessary. So, you know, it's just a question of are you casting spells or just picking locks? Are you um, are you sweet talking them or are you using cyber tech? Are you dealing with uh, NPCs or are you, uh, you know, gunning for a demon or a vampire at the top of the uh, corporate food chain? Oh, I'm definitely gunning for the demon or the vampire. Well, they're fine. Either, yeah, I was going to say I'm going bigger. I'm going home. <laughs> there's yeah the, i mean the monster section contains like a handful of your classics uh you know there's a ghost there's a vampire there's a there's a, f- a few different types of demons and then i took and kind of gave the uh the urban weird fantasy sort of spin to some things there's you know the gremlins in there are they're made of 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 electronic parts you know they're made of cables and cords and circuit boards um and they're all very electricity based and uh, there's, you know, my, one of my favorite monsters in the game is um, basically an animated trash dumpster, the, the big green trash dumpster that grows a, uh, four legs and the big floppy top starts p- 
popping open and there's teeth underneath there. And, you know, every so often it wakes up and runs around the city and eats people. And then it goes back and transforms back into a dumpster. <laughs> so it's so, a mimic. Essentially, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a dumpster mimic. That is awesome. Awesome. Yeah, so so what other games have you designed besides this one? Like, it sounds like you've poured a lot of time into this, and, like, this can't be your first rodeo. Uh, well, I mean, I've designed other games that I'd never felt uh, were worth taking to uh, the next level that never really gained traction for me. Um, but I've got a, you know, a fair background in RPG design. I've been freelancing for several years, um, you know, going back as far as, like, 1999, 2000, when I uh, did my first piece for um, Living Greyhawk for uh, D&D 3rd Edition. And then, you know, kind of a few bits, bits and pieces here and there. And then, you know, as of like seven years or so ago, it really kind of started to ramp up. And I've, I've got over 30 uh, published design credits for D&D, Pathfinder, um, Gamma World, and most recently a little bit of stuff for Iron Kingdoms. Um, and, uh, but, but like the last two and a half years has been a little bit of Iron Kingdom stuff and then mostly mergers and acquisitions because I decided, hey, let's do one of my own. And uh, I decided to take the plunge, and it gained some traction, and people seemed to like it. And uh, it's funded, so it will get made. Nice. You finally got to the point where you're shaking a fist at yourself in the mirror saying, it's time for me to make my own damn money. <laughs> well, it was one of those weird things. Make money. <laughs> we'll see how much oh, yes, you know, I forgot. If I, if I make That's money. Right. We're all supposed to do this for free for the love of it. Yeah. Well, and I'm 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 hoping for that, but you know, first thing I got to make sure I'm paying all the artists and the editors and the layout people and the de- design contributors and the graphics people. Um and then I'm going, you know, then next step is to actually reimburse myself for money I've already spent out of pocket over the last year or so. So, I'm uh, whether I hit a profit point or not, we'll see. But there's uh there's the potential for that. But at the very least it'll be out there in people's hands and that's that's something that I've been wanting to do. So, Nice. And, it, and it gains me an audience, and it gains me people who might want to play test the next game, and you know maybe the next game gets even bigger, and maybe the next game uh, rocks even more than this one. We'll see what happens. So, hey, are you a full time professional RPG designer? No, I am not. I am an architect by trade. This has all been happening in my free time. Gotcha. Okay. So. You still have a day job on top of like living the dream, as we quote it. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So, how many? So you work for Iron Kingdoms. You've worked on Greyhawk. So for I guess for the 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 entrepreneurial type or the, the people that want to get into game design, I'm gonna kind of start touching on a couple of things dealing with that. What okay. What are some good key points for them to stick to? Like if somebody's like, you know what, I want to. I want to start working in the industry. I want to start making RPGs or I want to start writing modules for RPGs. What, what, what would be the process for them to go through in order to make that happen? Like what's the keys to success? Okay. Well, um, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And some of them are more common now. Some of them are less common now than they were when I kind of got started. Um, but you know, I guess you figure out what you want to write for. What it is you want to, you know, what, what do you want to freelance for? Um, and my, my incur- I encourage you to, to try to get some time and, and, and some experience in freelancing for somebody else so you can learn some things, you can get some feedback before you try to design your own thing. Now, if you're an insanely talented writer and designer and you can manage to design on your own right out of the gate, good on you. Um, I couldn't, and I know a lot of people can't, but maybe you know, some people can. 
But, you know, figure out what it is you want to write for it and then research where, you know, how you can get, uh, get anything for that thing written. You know, if, um, if you're interested in writing for uh, Paizo in the Pathfinder game, they run a, a yearly RPG superstar contest where it's, a, it's like an elimination, you know, multiple rounds of elimination. They get a whole bunch of entries that I think they usually start with, like, design a magic item, and then it, they design another thing and design another thing. And uh, even, the, you know, like, the winner always has a guaranteed contract to, to write, in, uh, like, a, I think it's a 32-page adventure for Pathfinder. But even people who progress to the higher levels, even if they don't win, often get some amount of uh, freelance contract work. Um, Kobold... Uh, Press. If you wanted to write for anything that Cobalt Press covers, um, you can pitch things to them. They have they 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 take submissions. If you're interested in D and D, the 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 heyday of pitching to the Dragon Magazine and Dungeon Magazine slush pile seems to be kind of done. Um, although what you can do is you can get involved in um, local D and D Adventurers League kind of stuff. Um, there's the DMs Guild where you can actually just publish your own thing, um, and you might, you know, you, that might help you get noticed a little bit, and maybe you get a chance to write something um, for the Adventurers League, and then kind of roll from there, and that becomes like, you know, you get involved in RPGA stuff for D and D. I'm not sure about everything for a lot of other game systems. There are certainly, um, you know, a number of other game companies out there that have some way of of kind of touching base, um, and maybe getting a chance to contribute something to an e-zine or to a website. Um, and, and what you can do too is, you know, it takes a little more effort and you've got to kind of set up the infrastructure yourself, but get out there and, and just set up a blog page and start writing about the games you love and designing some things, trying to build an audience. And maybe at some point somebody will put their eyes on it and say, Hey, this guy really knows my game system pretty well. Maybe I should reach out to him and see if he wants to, uh, to contribute to, you know, a supplement or to, uh, you know, something for uh, the online magazine or whatever, whatever they might have as an outlet. You know, there's a lot of ways to approach it. And it's just a question of pinpointing what it is you want to try to do and going after it and, and just researching everything you can about it. And the more things you are interested in doing, the easier it will be for you to find work. Um, or at least, you know, to start to get some exposure and maybe get noticed. If you only have one system one game system that you're interested in, you, you have very limited avenues. So, um, you know, being familiar with a variety of systems certainly helps. That's, uh, that's my rundown, real quick rundown. You know, it's, you know, a writer writes. If you can't find time to write and put something out there one way or the other, even if it's just, you know, blogging about your own game or, you know, sharing a few creations here and there um, of things that you built for a particular game system, it'll be harder to get noticed but you can do it with you know online communities and um organized play communities and things like that especially with the smaller scale ones where there's a a more of a familial relationship between people and it's it's not this gigantic organization that it's hard to to get you know noticed by the the people who make those decisions right so definitely if, if you if you want more of a i don't want to say a sure shot but start small yeah, I mean, and you have to build into it. And it's, you know, this is something that it's 2016. I started this path in 1999. Some people, it might take longer. Some people, it might take considerably shorter to get to this, to the point that I did. Now, at, at the same time, you know, I pursued it in a kind of off and on fashion for about a decade of that time. Um, and it's only been recently that it's really ramped up. But, 
you know, it's 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 a labor of love. You have to really want to do it. I I often tell people, you know, I'm getting paid to write something for Iron Kingdoms or Dungeons and Dragons or whatever, and it's really cool that I'm get money, getting money for it because I would do this anyway. If I wasn't writing this piece for this company, I would be creating something. Um, right. I've got reams and reams worth of of uh, you know paper in 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 the form of you know it, it's actually mostly an electronic form of things that I've just designed as a creative exercise, and I think you know those things have helped me get to the point that I'm at as well, and they'll help you or you know any of you listeners out there who are looking to do it. If you've designed a lot of stuff, you've already started. Um, you're all, I mean, if you've, if you've designed a bunch of stuff for yourself to just use in your game or as a creative exercise, you're an RPG designer. You're not necessarily a paid or professional RPG designer, but you've designed. And so, you know, pursue that. Go after it. Right, exactly. You know, I, I've had uh, a couple of people approach me in the past about certain things that happen in the industry. And I always tell them, it's like, honestly, as far as a lot of it goes, I don't know. So I always like asking you guys because, I mean, you're doing it on a daily basis. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, my job at work is I, I punch in numbers and I track stuff. So, you know, <laughs> as far as the creative side of things, I don't, you know, I don't really have any words to give people on it other than, you know, work hard. Something will come out of it, which, you know, read that on Facebook with any meme that somebody puts out there trying to make you feel better for eating a donut in the morning. So, you know, past <laughs> that, I mean, I really don't have much. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a question of, you know, just <laughs> it's not this simple, but it's the first step. Get off your ass and start doing it. There we go. Start That's going to be the quote for this episode. Get off your ass and start doing it. <laughs> Murdering nice. people in the office. And murder I, I, people in the office. Like that's that's everything too. So you know, not saying that this is a great suggestion, but if you're already working or trying to work at getting into the gaming industry, maybe it's best for you to find somebody that's like really close to getting into the gaming industry and just plagiarize all their shit and make them disappear. Oh, oh well, in the, in, the, in the world of murders and acquisitions, that would be... I'm not condoning that in the real world at all. Keep that in mind. <laughs> I didn't say on, any Greg. of this stuff. I don't know. I kind of got that vibe when you're like, so I got this inspiration. One no, day no, at the this interview office. is over. Stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> There's this guy that I was talking to one day. <laughs> He's not around anymore. Strangely like, enough, the 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 very beginning, early the 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 smallest nugget of this game actually came from somebody else. But he's not a designer, and he had no interest in pursuing it. So I asked him if I could run with it, and he said, go for it. And uh, he's one of my top backers and has been very supportive the whole time. He's a good friend of mine. At least he's supportive of it, and he's not, like, trying to, you know, take you out. <laughs> he's unless living he's the fear of the game before it even comes out. Yeah, unless he's just trying to earn my trust, and one of these days I'm going to turn around and he's going to be standing there with a baseball bat. That's very possible. Never know. It is a dangerous industry, I hear. It is. People kill each other all the time in the RPG. Wait, no, they don't do that at all. <laughs> it's actually, I mean, if you get involved in it, you'll find that, generally speaking, the RPG industry, you know, the, from the professional side of it, whether it be full-times or part-time freelancers, it's a very 
inclusive, very generally speaking, a very welcoming industry. People, you know, the, most of the time people want you to succeed because any success for any RPG is success for the industry as a whole, and it means growth for the industry as a whole. Yes, definitely. You know, don't don't be that uh, elitist ass bag that thinks that, like, somebody's more superior than others because, you know, we're already – the industry as a whole, as it is, we're 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 already crawling out of that whole nerdism, yeah. you know, that we've dealt with for how many years now. So it's like, don't don't go and ruin it. Don't be that guy or girl or whoever. Exactly. Don't be that. And it and in an industry that is so niche and so, I mean, all things considered. You know, you hear numbers about how many people play RPGs, how many people buy this Paizo product or that, uh, you know, uh, uh, Wizards of the Coast product. But, you know, on the grand scheme of things, role-playing games is a very small industry. So anything we can do to, to foster it and help it to grow and introduce new people to it and get people involved and, and bring in new talent and build, you know, new writers and designers and developers and editors and so forth, it should be done. Because if we don't continue to grow, if you're not growing, you're shrinking. There's really no such thing as status quo. If you're not growing, you're dying. All right, guys. Well, I hate to cut it short for the night, but uh, I want to thank our guest, our guest Craig, for coming on. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, no problem. We definitely have to do this again. <laughs> Hopefully when uh, things work a little more smoothly. Behind the scenes, everybody, there were audio issues. <laughs> oh, audio the magic issues, of the internet. The internet went out. I swear, we're talking about a game about murders and acquisitions, setting people up for things, and we have some of our biggest problems to date. Fantastic. I don't, well, I don't guys, know what to tell you, guys. i got to head out for the night. All right, so just okay. a few little things. We'll be linking the link to the Kickstarter and Craig's page and all that good stuff in the show notes. Also, we do now have an Instagram. I know I said we were going to start it. I've been Ooh. trying to slowly put little pictures up. We're at Skirmish Supremacy on Instagram. As always, we also have the Street Team group that you can join. That's on Facebook. Just search Skirmish Supremacy Street Team. Come in there and tell us how much you hate us. We love it. We also have the page. Come fan us on Facebook. And that's Facebook.com. Slash Skirmish Supremacy. Anything else? There's one more, isn't there? There's Twitter. At Skirmish Supreme. Because Skirmish Supremacy is too big for Twitter. Boom. Thanks for listening to another episode of Skirmish Supremacy. To see more of the antics that Nick and I do, you can check us out on Facebook at Skirmish Supremacy. We also have Twitter, which we can be reached at Skirmish Supreme. Because apparently Skirmish Supremacy does not fit in Twitter. And if you want to email us directly, you can reach us at tim at skirmishsupremacy.com or nick at skirmishsupremacy.com. Thanks for listening.